0: All right, guys, go ahead and get out your Bibles. A couple things that were um, the Lord was is doing uh, big things with us and just working some things out. So if you guys could pray for a couple of things. Um, I want to pray for an ESL class uh, that we could have at our church to teach uh, English to whoever wants to come and learn. So anyone who wants to be involved, I mean, this is literally... I felt Wednesday at the food bank, the Lord was telling me, let's do this. And then my mom was like, the Lord told me on Sunday you should do that. And then another person called me and said, you should do an ESL class. And so I really think the Lord is like telling me to do an ESL class. So whoever knows how to do that, uh, Jesus is talking to you right now and telling you to come lead our ESL class. And uh, so we want to do it, and we're, this, we're just the Lord's servants, whatever he wants. Um, this, this school here, Ellis Elementary, is filled with international students, uh, and a lot of them come to the food bank on the Wednesday. Like, this last Wednesday we had food bank. It was awesome, um, and there was a family from Mongolia that came, and the kids go there, and and it was just so cool to, to share the gospel because I was like, have you guys heard about Jesus? And they're like, no. And uh, so I told them all about Jesus, and the kids were like, no way! That's so cool! And uh, they're like second grade and first grade little boy and girl, and um, they it was awesome. It was just awesome. So uh, that, but the dad who was there couldn't speak a lick of English, and um, he's like, "Are you Buddha?" And I was like, "No." And it was it was hard to communicate. So, but he wants to learn English, and everyone I know wants to learn English. So, we really want to do this uh, if it's the Lord's will. So, if you guys could pray for us, and if anyone feels the Lord saying, "Yes, I want to be involved," we want to go that direction, and there we go. Okay, another thing to pray for is um, our youth group, uh, Jeremy and Jill, our youth pastor, Jeremy. He's a big, fat jerk and leaving. Uh, just kidding. I love him more than anybody in the world, but uh, they're moving to Nebraska very, very soon, so we're wrapping up their time as serving our youth, and so we want to pray that God would provide a, a, someone to work with the youth, which is mostly my kids, so I'm sorry. but <laughs> And uh, so... Would you guys pray with me as we start our study? Father, I thank you for um, your Holy Spirit that speaks to us, and we just want to live fully surrendered to that Spirit. And if this ESL class is your will, we pray that you would um, provide all that we need, and, and even move in our hearts right now to, to uh, that, that we would know that you're directing us to uh, be involved with it. Uh, Father, we pray for our food bank that you would supply all our need, and. Uh, more food than even we had this last week uh, to feed the people that come. And Lord, we pray uh, for the youth group situation, Lord, that you would rise up leaders who will love on these kids, help them to learn your word uh, at their level. And Lord, we pray, uh, that, uh, we, we pray for purity in our hearts, uh, that we would not uh, have your word choked out by the desire for riches, by the care for this world, or by anything else. Uh, and that, that our hearts could just be free to to grow in your word. Uh, we don't want to be distracted, Lord. And uh, so, Lord, I pray that your word would uh, be a seed that's planted in our heart today. And, uh, Lord, we want it to be a fruitful seed that grows up in good soil that is humble and full of faith. And we ask you to do this in our lives. Amen. 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 Exodus 23 is the chapter that we're in, and and today's sermon is called... How to Win Your Enemies. But as I, um, as I have the title uh, I, on my screen, you can't see it, but it says, How to Win Against Your Enemies. But the word against, I, I found a little thing where I could strike through it. So the word against is struck through. Because uh, we're, not, we're not learning how to fight against our enemies. There he, hey, look at it. Well done. Yay. You're the man, Jacob. All right. So, it, it's, it, so the real title is How to Win Our Enemies how to win our enemies. Um, Abraham Lincoln, my favorite president, your favorite president, we all love Abraham Lincoln. My favorite commercial of all time is the one, I forget what it was like, a beer commercial or something, but Abraham Lincoln is fighting with this guy, this guy starts fighting him, and Abraham Lincoln's like, You're not gonna fight me! And, and Abraham Lincoln, like, they start like wrestling, like WWF wrestling, and, and, uh, and then he rips his shirt open, he's got a giant eagle tattoo on his chest, and he's just like, Ah, with his, you know, suspenders and his hat, and it was so funny, I love that commercial. Um, anyway, Abraham Lincoln. Was running for president, and uh, he was he was running. There was a guy named Stanton, who who would uh, do speeches and stuff, and he was against Lincoln. He he hated Lincoln, hated him. He would mock him in public. He even f- made fun of the way Abraham Lincoln looked. Um, but as we know, Lincoln was elected president. And then came a time when, he, when Lincoln had to select his cabinet and, uh, and this would consist of the people who would be his closest partners in running the country. And so the time came for him to fill the position of Secretary of War and Lincoln chose Stanton to be his Secretary of War. Can you imagine what the people around Lincoln would say to him. In fact, it's recorded. There's a lot of recorded conversations. They, they told him, you're making a big mistake. Don't you know that this man, Stanton, uh, he hates you? He said all kinds of ugly things about you. He's your enemy. He's going to sabotage your program. Haven't you thought about this, Mr. President? And Lincoln answered and said, yes, yes. I know Mr. Stanton, and I am fully aware of all the terrible things he said about me, but as I looked over our nation, I find that he is the best man for the job. So, Stanton became Abraham Lincoln's Secretary of War, and he served the nation uh, and his president very well. And not many years later, you know, Lincoln was assassinated, and many kind things were said about him at, at his funeral and at all the gatherings. And even today, millions of people adore him as the greatest of all Americans. H.G. Wells even selected him as one of the six greatest men in all of history. But of all the great statements made about Abraham Lincoln, the most powerful was made by Stanton at his graveside. And Stanton said that he was the greatest man who had ever lived, and he was the greatest American, and he now belongs to the ages and I can't believe he's my friend. This is just unbelievable what happened. Martin Luther King says this about this Lincoln Stanton situation. If Lincoln had hated Stanton, both men would have gone to their graves as bitter enemies. But through the power of love, Lincoln transformed an enemy into a friend. It was the same attitude that made it possible for Lincoln to speak a kind word about the South during the Civil War, when feelings were most bitter. Asked by a shocked bystander how he could do this, Lincoln said, Madam, do I not destroy my enemies when I make them my friends? It's pretty cool, right? Pretty cool. All right, well, let's get into our text from God's Word. I know that was a long intro, and usually we get right into the Word, but that was a cool intro for our time in God's Word today. We're just getting through a couple verses, real easy. In in Exodus chapter 23, verse 4, we come to a law about your enemies. It says, If you meet your enemy's ox or his donkey going astray, you shall surely bring him back to him again. If you see the donkey of one who hates you lying under its burden, then you And you would refrain from helping it, you shall surely help him with it. Love your enemies. God says here that his children have a moral obligation to love their enemies, to care for their enemies, to serve their enemies, to act in the way that best benefits our enemies. And and this is a law, it's a command. It's also crazy. (laughs) It's crazy. Let's go go to Matthew chapter 5, and and let's hear what Jesus says about this same thing. In Matthew chapter 5, verse 43, Jesus says, You have heard it said that you should love your neighbor and hate your enemy. Who said that? Who is Jesus talking about? A lot of people who read that say, Well, the Old Testament says that. Wait a minute, wait a minute. We just read the Old Testament, and the Old Testament did not say, hate your enemies, did it? No, the Old Testament said, love your enemies. The law said, love your enemies. So who was saying, hate your enemies? Pharisees, Pharisees, who knew the Bible more than anybody else. The people who were saying, hate your neighbor hate your enemy excuse me love your neighbor but hate your enemy were people who did not know the heart of god they may have read the bible but they didn't know god's heart of love jesus says you've heard it said love your neighbor but hate your enemy but i say to you love your enemies bless those is jesus changing the old testament no he's agreeing with it Love your enemies, bless those who curse you, do good to those who hate you, and pray for those who spitefully use you and persecute you. Verse 45, that you may be sons of your Father in heaven, for he makes the sun rise on the evil and on the good and sends rain on the just and the unjust. This makes no sense to the carnal mind, to the world. This makes no sense. The world doesn't even agree with this. In fact, Friedrich Nietzsche, you guys know him? You know, Nietzsche, everyone's like, it's really popular to be like, oh, I read Nietzsche and and I'm so, uh, you know, modern, spiritual, or whatever. It's annoying. He's a dork, by the way. If you you read Nietzsche, anyway. Nietzsche says here, Jesus commands, uh, d- when Jesus says to love your enemy, it shows that Christians, the Christian ethic is designed for the weak and the cowardly and not for the strong and courageous. Jesus, he says, was an impractical idealist. Nietzsche says, that is dumb to love your enemies. He can't even, it doesn't even go into his mind and it certainly doesn't go into his heart. And the world generally believes that loving your enemies is naive and counterintuitive. Why would you be nice when they're trying to be mean to you? Because, and this is what happens at the world today, if you hold the moral high ground over somebody, in other words, if you think you're right and they're wrong, like you think you're righteous and they're unrighteous, that's why they're your enemy then you have to use that moral high ground to fight the good fight and to put down those mean people and the bad people and the unrighteous people. But what they're doing in that is they're only using the resources of the flesh to accomplish what they think is right. So in other words, they're just being people, just doing what any person could do through the flesh and that's what hating your enemy is. It's just what the flesh would do. And I'm going to ask you, do you think this way? And I'm going to say some words, some, some phrases that someone who thinks according to the flesh would utter. Okay? I'm right and they are wrong, so I get to yell at them. <laughs> I get to, I'm right and they are wrong, so I get to put them down. And talk bad about them. I'm right and they're wrong so I get to gossip about them. I'm right and they're wrong so I can wish they were dead. I'm right and they're wrong so I get to call them names. I'm right and they're wrong so I can think evil thoughts about them. I can tell jokes about them. That is how the flesh thinks. Jesus says it so clearly. That's what we've heard. The flesh has really communicated it through the Pharisees, through the world, whatever it's been. In fact, it goes even further. I need to make them feel the weight of their wrongness by my meanness. How are they going to know they're idiots unless I tell them? How? It's my responsibility to be harsh because they've been harsh. They need the discipline of my hate if they're ever going to change. That's how the flesh thinks. And when we're not careful, that's how we think. I'm not going to treat that person nicely. Look what they're doing. They need my unkindness if they're ever going to change to be kind. If I'm not a jerk to them, who's going to be? It's my gift. Who is man enough to take up the mantle of the jerk? Me. I am man enough. I have the flesh resources to be a jerk. Amen? Amen. All of this describes the human heart born in flesh, trying to accomplish what they think is good, but by human efforts. And these human efforts never include real agape love. You guys heard that word agape before? Yeah, it means perfect love, self-sacrificing love. We'll get into that in a minute. When the heart tries to accomplish these things by being mean and hateful, the only resource it's coming from is flesh. Like That's all it has. Is like trying to force and trying to move, bend, and, and you've got to change because I'm going to make you. The resource of love is only given to the child of God. The child of God is given love as a resource, and that is effective in changing people. When we are given this love, the Spirit births it in our heart. And what we do is we abide in our life in dependence upon God. We depend on Him. We trust in Him. We draw near to Him. And the Holy Spirit births this love in our heart that was not there before. Jesus is He had this real love, this agape love. He he was crazy good at loving, wasn't he? I mean, he loved his enemies so much that he practiced forgiveness as they were torturing him and murdering him. While they were mocking him and hurting him, he had nothing bad to say about them. In fact, he said nothing except, Father, forgive them because they don't even understand what they're doing, right? He looked past their sinful, hurtful actions, and he saw them the way that God saw them, made in in God's image, but fallen. He saw them as beloved in God's eyes, even though they were big jerks. And Jesus, as he was being ruthlessly murdered, he gathered up the very last of his physical strength, and he uttered the words, Father, forgive them. And then just a little while later in the book of Acts, you know, the first martyr, Stephen, he's being stoned to death. Just a little bit later, a couple months later probably, and he cried out similar words showing that Jesus' heart had been transplanted into Stephen. And he says, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. These are, these are things that never happened in the world before this. Never, ever did someone love their enemies until Jesus came. And now Stephen gets that heart transplanted into him, and now we have it transplanted into us as well, as we abide in Christ. That's the way that we love our enemies. We're we're studying, if you didn't realize, we're, we're studying loving our enemies today, and that's the way. It always starts with forgiveness. And you can really just judge whether you love your enemies based on whether you've forgiven them and are forgiving them or not we forgive over and over and over again even when the wrong was intentional and they meant to hurt you and they were big bullies and meanies we forgive over and over again and you guys know that only the person who was wronged and hurt can forgive right you you can't wait for the one who did the wrong to come to you to say they're sorry. As followers of Christ, we must forgive when we've been hurt. And it's not ignoring or forgetting what was done. That's not what forgiveness is. It's treating the person like they never did the dumb thing. It's not letting that act of sin get in the way of the relationship anymore. Well, I forgive them, but I'm never talking to them again. I'm sorry, you didn't forgive them then. I forgive them, but I am certainly not going to open up my heart and share anything ever again with them. That's not forgiveness. It's not. You're still living in hate, you're still living by the resources of the flesh. The Spirit says, I'll give you love, I'll give you agape. You just have to be willing to forgive. To forgive, we have to believe that the person who hurt us is more than just what they did to hurt us. That they have a value that is defined by God's love and not their actions that hurt us. Wow. That they've been made in God's image and so they're valuable in His eyes. So he loves them, and now we are required and enabled to love them like him. And to forgive, we have to have humility. Knowing that we could have done the same thing they did, and we have probably done the same thing that they did many times. And the thing that hurts us so badly, we are guilty of too. That's how we forgive. But we don't want to do that because we're prideful Americans. We're prideful prideful humans. We do not want to admit that we're as bad as the father who beat us or the mom who abandoned us or the spouse who betrayed us or any other person that we just don't like forgiving. Martin Luther King said it like this. I got two Martin Luther King quotes this week and I'm excited about that. He said this, We recognize that this hate that that was done to us grows out of fear, pride, ignorance, prejudice, and misunderstanding. But in spite of this, we know God's image is ineffably etched in his being. Then we, we love our enemies by realizing that they are not totally bad and that they are not beyond the reach of God's redemptive love. You're like, you don't, you don't know my enemy. He's totally bad. That's wrong. It's just wrong. God can redeem them. Are they still breathing? They could be redeemed. And that's why we love. To win their friendship. Like Lincoln did with Stanton. He forgave, he loved, and he won his friendship. The best way to defeat my enemy is to win them as a friend. Right? So, question, are we really commanded to love our enemies and to forgive like this? Yeah, that's the expectation and the requirement for every child of God. Well, I don't want to do that. Then you're not really wanting to be a child of God. Plain and simple. You can go on like that, but the end of a person who's not the child of God is not where you want to go. So we need to repent, and say, Lord, I, I don't have this heart. I'm full of sin, and I don't love people. What do I do with that? Why don't we see this kind of love and forgiveness very often? Why don't we see, why do we see more hate and flesh responses, even in the church when we're wronged and persecuted and not allowed to bake our cakes when we want to? That was a good cultural reference. It was, thanks back in Matthew. Okay? Back in Matthew 5:43. Uh, I'm going to read our text uh, that text again where he says, "You've heard it said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies, bless those who curse you and do good to those who hate you and pray for those who spitefully use you and persecute you, that you may be sons of your father in heaven. That you may be sons of your father in heaven." Sons of your father in heaven is the key phrase in that text. It's the key. It's the way that we are able, as his church, to forgive and to love with this agape love. That's the relationship, the son-father relationship, that can make this crazy, forgiving, agape love happen in our life. It's relating to your father... In heaven, as a son, not as an employee. I am going to love my enemies because God has employed me to do that. You will never succeed. Because I know it's the right thing to do. Failure's around the corner. Only if it's the Father's Son, I am receiving his heart into mine. I'm becoming like him through relationship and that's why I'm going to forgive is because I'm growing to be like God. I'm not a servant of God. I'm not a slave. I'm not an employee trying to please him. I've received this love and now his heart is exploding, leaking out of mine and so loving my enemies becomes what I want to do. When we connect with God as a child, we are hoping in Him. We are abiding in Him. We're we're reading His Word with expectation. We're praying with confidence. We are depending on Him as a child does their father. We're clinging to Him like a child. Do you guys ever have your kid just hang to your leg and try to walk, right? I actually kind of like that, you know? I like when my kids cling to me. It's the natural state of a father-son relationship, and it's good. It's fun. And in the spiritual sense, it's exactly what we need. That clinging, depending relationship does one thing for us. It guarantees that we are filled with his life, his love, by his grace, It's a gift with our name on it. As we cling to him, we realize that he is actually doing all the work, and we just get to chill with him, hanging on to him. He clings to us as we look to him. And we rest in him. But my flesh is so, it's amazing how quickly my flesh can twist this simple phrase like abiding in God and clinging to him, and it turns it into a work that, what do I do to do that? That's what my flesh says so quickly. What do I do to do that? It is not what you do. It's how you do what you do. It's humility and faith. And those aren't things you can do. Let's go do humility. Let's go do faith. Neither one of those work because they're not works. They are relational realities. They are hows. They're how. How do I do what I do? You can read the Bible as a work or you can read the Bible as a relationship reality. You can pray as a work or you can pray as a relationship reality. And that's the humility and faith thing we, we hit on every week. As we connect with our Father in humility and faith, we will be filled with His agape love. What is agape love? Well, in Greek, we learn so much about love just by the word definitions that we see. So you guys know that there's generally three words in Greek. Uh, that have to do with love, so we're just going to touch on that real quick. We have the Eros love. He doesn't fill us with that love. That Eros is the word we get erotic from, and it's, it's a romantic or really it's an aesthetic love. It's something that uh, you yearn for it, or you desire, something you see because their ways appeal to you. That is cool. That is appealing. That is neat. That is That is something I like. That's Eros love. This kind of love won't change people. In fact, when someone desires you with Eros love, like, like, man, they think I'm really cool. This is what happens. It comes off eventually as being needy because you know deep down in your heart that you are going to let them down and you're not going to live up to what they think you are. So Eros love does not work to bless people and to love them. It's, It's something that's cool. Like, oh man, I really desire that. I think the way they do things is so cool, and I like spending time with them. That is that Eros love. When someone just cares about you, because you are aesthetically pleasing to them, it's shallow and surface. And they will leave you when you don't look as cute or act in a way that pleases them as much. That's why Eros love doesn't work. That's why you can't marry someone that you like just because you like them. That kind of marriage doesn't work. Then the next kind of love is the philo, 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 Philadelphia, you know, brother, Phileo, um, right? And this is the love and affection between friends. And what this is, the reciprocal or returned love. This is the kind of love you have for those who love you. People who are nice to you, they care about you, they commit to you, they serve you, and so you naturally have this desire to return the compassion that you've been shown. The first like relationship you have with your mom and dad is they are loving you, and so you love them back, but you don't agape love them. You just love them because they feed you and clothe you and are nice to you, okay? Agape love is only born from the Spirit, okay? Agape is an overflow of the heart of God for all men. He created men. He invested in each and every person more than we could ever know. It says, even Hitler... He knit him together in his mother's womb. God had a heart and a plan for Hitler, but he turned away from it, right? But God's investment is still there. God loves every man, every each and every person. He understands man. God understands them. He knows that men are weak and that men have been hurt and that men have been deceived. And so his heart is merciful to men. But I'm not, because I don't care what you've been through. I'm pretty calloused. I just don't like the way you talk, and I don't like the things you do. So my heart has not yet been filled with his agape love yet. God, not only did he create men, so he's invested them, not only does he understand men, knowing that they've been weak and deceived and hurt, he has redeemed men. He's done all the work necessary for every man to be forgiven and restored into a perfect state with him. So awesome. He has nothing to do with how, this agape love has nothing to do with how people look or how they behave or how they perform. And this agape love is not about liking people or about them being appealing in any way it's just not like that it's a love that looks for nothing in return it's completely free and always available day or night any time we love people agape love simply loves because we love other people because God loved them. Do we have that love? Well, we can. We certainly can have that love through the abiding life that we talked about, drawing near to God as his children so that we experience that father-son relationship and the go-between of the Holy Spirit being implanted in our hearts and in this relationship, this love becomes part of us. And we don't have to just try to act like agape love because I know that I've tried to be agape loving and I fail every time I try. Nothing is said of imitation when it comes to this agape love. It's a real work of grace It's a real work equipping us and changing us to be the loving children that represent our Father in this fallen world. To love our enemies is so important. Some of them, our enemies, are sitting very close to us right now. Some of us are married to our enemies. You guys have enemies. You can put your hand down. (laughs) Some of your enemies are your bosses. Some of your enemies are your authority. Some of your enemies are your ex. Some of your enemies are just big jerks that you know. Some of your enemies are just consumed with their own lives, and some of your enemies have hurt you deeply. Some have injured you literally. Physically. And some of your enemies are imaginary. Some of you have so many enemies that you can't even open up to us because you're afraid that we might become your enemies in the future. Imaginary. I want you to think of your enemies. You have opportunities to use this sermon in your life. Like... You want application? Here you go. You have enemies. We have to love them. These people who are your enemies are not mistakes in your life. They're not outside of God's will or God's plan for your life. God placed you in this life, in this time, because he sovereignly said, I want you there. And yes, your dad's a jerk. And yes, this person is going to hurt you. Yes, that's going to happen. What are you going to do about it? God has placed you strategically in their lives. Because what's going to change your jerk dad? What's going to change your person that's hurt you? Being mean to them? Unforgiving them? Not forgiving them? Being distant from them? or truly loving them and forgiving them. But I have a lot of enemies. Then you can and will be filled with a lot of love. I'm going to read to you a third quote from Martin Luther King Jr. He's about to get his own jingle. Maybe rap or something, I don't know. He says this, to our most bitter opponents. Remember, he's living in a time where he was being hated in the South for trying to achieve the racial you know, um, work that he was doing. He said, to our most bitter opponents, we say, we will match your capacity to inflict suffering by our capacity to endure suffering. What? That's crazy. We shall meet your physical force with soul force. Do to us what you will, and we shall continue to love you. We cannot, in all good conscience, obey your unjust laws because non-cooperation with evil is as much a moral obligation as is cooperation with good. So throw us in jail, and we will still love you. Send your hooded perpetrators of violence into our community at the midnight hour and beat us and leave us half dead and we shall still love you. Be assured that we will wear you down by our ability and capacity to suffer. One day we shall win freedom, but not for ourselves. We shall so appeal to your heart and to your conscience that we shall win you in the process. And our victory will be a double victory. Martin Luther King. Draw near to your father to gain this heart of love. He wrote that when he was in prison for two weeks. From prison, he wrote that. You know all he did for two weeks? Pray and read his Bible. He drew near to his father, and his father gave him this heart. Now, I do have a Spurgeon quote. Spurgeon quote, Spurgeon quote. He just says, prayer is the forerunner of mercy. You want to be merciful to someone? You want to be forgiven? You want to have agape love? Spurgeon says it starts with prayer. Hebrews 4.16 says, Let us therefore come boldly to the throne of grace. What is that? That's praying. Coming boldly before his throne of grace, that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Just come to your Father and tell him about how sinful you are. Tell him about your need. Tell him about your hurt. Tell him about your pain. And in that place, that secret place, that inner chamber, his fellowship with you, will create an outpouring of love. His power will enable you and equip you. His grace will be upon you. Amen.